I'm going to preach about something that, um, today that I'm not very good at. You know, they always say, you know, you can't, you can't preach what you're not living and you've got to walk the talk. But I, I'm going to preach about something that I'm not very good at. And I'm going to ask you to, to do something or consider doing something that I'm just kind of getting started at myself. Um, I, I don't have a lot of progress to report, but I, but I feel pretty strongly about this whole thing of, uh, of, of neighboring. So I have to give you sort of a, you know how, how when you tell somebody about a movie, you give them a spoiler alert? Well, I'm going to give you like a, a guilt alert, okay? Or, or maybe a, a conviction alert. Um, we're going to talk about loving our neighbors. I mean, loving our actual real neighbors. Not just like, oh, I generally love everybody in the Lord, and we got it covered with that, right? But really loving those people around you. And maybe some of you are already really good at that, and you don't need the sermon if you want to leave. That's okay. But I am... Um, I fall short on this one, and I guess that's why I identify so much with the, the prayer of confession that we've been using uh, and that we read today right at the hymnal. Who'd have thought? The hymnal, they're still there. We can still use them, right? And um, But I really ident- I use this prayer almost daily in my own quiet time, and that one line always convicts me. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We've not loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. I'm a little convicted as I step into here, but I'm intrigued and I'm even motivated to give this a try. And I want to invite you to join me in asking this question. What would happen if we took Jesus seriously and really loved our actual neighbors? I mean, really loving our neighbors, not just being nice and waving when they drive by, not even talking about, not even inviting them to church, to just love them. And this may be a shocker, not even necessarily try to convert them, though that may happen eventually, but to simply love them, care for them, visit, listen, hang out together, have fun together, help each other. It has the potential to actually improve our neighborhoods, and it's been proved to happen in some cities where they've taken this seriously. It makes the neighborhood feel safer, It makes it feel more friendly, like a more friendly place to live. It gets rid of irrational fears about some of those weird people that don't take care of their yard, all those kinds of things. It has the potential to make our neighborhoods a better place to live. And some of you are thinking, ah, property values. But anyway, if that's an advantage, great. (laughs) And so we're calling this the art of neighboring, and I've actually borrowed this from a book that I read recently called The Art of Neighboring. And the subtitle is Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. The authors are Jay Pethak and Dave Runyon, and they've actually done this in several neighborhoods in Denver where it's been proven to improve uh, the life and the friendliness and the safety of neighborhoods. To get started, about let's look at what Jesus uh, said about neighboring. Now, I want to start with a, a passage of Scripture that doesn't mention neighbor love, but I want to start with the Great Commission. If you're not familiar with the Great Commission, it's the last few verses of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew being the first of the four Gospels in the New Testament. At the very end, Matthew reports Jesus saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here we have this wonderful call to go spread the gospel. We have this wonderful call, really, to make disciples who make disciples. We're to be discipled in the faith. We do discipling work in the church, but our call then is to then go make disciples who will do the same thing. But Jesus says part of that discipling is to teach them everything I have commanded you. 
And we get a summary of everything I've commanded you in what we call the Great Commandment, which Gwen just read for us from Mark's Gospel. The Great Commandment again says the most important one or commandment, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Love your neighbor more than you. Some people go, well, I don't love myself very much. I have a bad self-image. But if you're thinking about yourself a lot, you like yourself a lot better. (laughs) That's what it means. We just tendly think of ourselves more than anybody else. And Jesus says to break out of that and love our neighbors more than we think of ourselves and love ourselves. So let's try to unpack this great commandment a little bit. Um, whenever we read scripture and we want to understand it better, especially a teaching of Jesus, we need to check the what's going on, what's, what's the context here, what's happening. To, to whom is he speaking and why is he saying this? The great commandment answer comes to some, some Pharisees, Jewish leaders, uh, teachers of the law, and so we need to ask, where were the te- and they were generally his opponents and things like this, where were they coming from with their question of all the commandments, which is the greatest? We see throughout the Gospels that they were often are often trying to trick Jesus, to force him to say something that they could label as, as, as heresy, as uh, uh, adverse to what they believed. Matthew's version of this story, the first Gospel, uh, says that they were testing him. Mark here in the second Gospel of the New Testament just seems to indicate that they were curious. And when they said, uh, of all the commandments, which is the greatest, they were not just talking the Big Ten from the mountain on the tablets, Okay. When they said all the commandments, you got to realize these are Pharisees and teachers of law who over the centuries had worked with all the Old Testament scripture and the history of the Jews had developed practices and the Pharisees had assembled a list of 613 statutes, 613. Of those, 248 were commandments. These are things you were supposed to do. And of those, 248 were prohibitions, things you weren't supposed to do. 613, Jesus, of all those, go ahead, Jesus, pick one. We'll be sure to catch you on this one because if you pick one, we're going to surely be able to find something to throw back at you. And Jesus does pick one. He picks what's called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A. It's a Hebrew word that simply is from the first word of that call. It's the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema was very familiar to faithful Jews who repeated it at least twice a day in their prayers. So Jesus says the Shema, hear, O Israel. So they're like, well, okay, we, we say that one every day. But Jesus steps right on and immediately adds the words now, and that, that Shema is in Deuteronomy, an Old Testament book, Deuteronomy. But he immediately adds the words from Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. It's almost like one long sentence, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is close to it, like it, part of it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like it's one great commandment. In fact, one commentator says that Jesus with scarcely a breath in between speaks of loving God and loving neighbor. As Jesus puts these two together, he, in a sense, is putting love over the law. He's not getting rid of the law, but he's putting this big big covering of saying love is over the law. He joins these two famous and familiar and, and treasured texts that the Jews believe 
No one had quite done it like this before. Both were from the Old Testament scripture, so Jesus wasn't going out of bounds there. But Jesus joins them. He puts love God, love others together. And when this comes in the New Testament Greek, when, when this was translated into Greek, it's the word for love there is not the romantic, emotional love of eros. It is not that friendly, brotherly love of phileo. It is the Greek word agape, which is not tied into emotion, but rather commitment of devotion that's directed by the will And it could be commanded as a duty. Yes, you can tell someone to love someone. Because agape is this love that gives of self and puts another first. It's that kind of love for God and that kind of love for neighbor. And they flow from one another. I was reading in my NIV study Bible this week, and it says this, that Jesus joined the two to show that love for neighbor is a natural and logical outgrowth of love for God. Myron Augsburger in his commentary on Matthew says this, By fusing the commandments, Jesus showed the way to fulfill the first. For it is in loving the neighbor whom we have seen that we express our participation in love for God for whom we have not seen. Love God with your whole being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others more than you love yourself. We also get some help understanding neighboring from another familiar New Testament story, the Good Samaritan, who helps define neighbor. Most of you are probably familiar with the story. If not, it's in Luke chapter 10. Luke is the third of the Gospels, the third one. And again, in order to understand better the Good Samaritan story, we need to see what prompted it. It's also in response to a test from an expert in Jewish law, um, asking asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus puts it back to him and says, what does it say in the law? And he gives Jesus' answer back of love God, love neighbor. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. And it could have ended there. But it says this, but wanting to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. The expert in the law said, who is my neighbor? By justify himself, we're probably, he's probably pressing for, I hope it's a narrow enough definition of neighbor that I can fit there. Because you couldn't possibly mean all kinds of people. So just who is my neighbor, Jesus? And so Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan where uh, the hero of the story who saves a person who's been attacked by robbers, the, the example of good neighboring, the hero of good neighboring is someone that Jews would consider a despised, half-breed foreigner. So as Jesus makes him the star of his story, there's this call to say a neighbor is anybody around you. He calls us to be open and flexible in our compassion. All kinds of people, not just the safe ones, not just the familiar ones, not just those who are easy to make a connection with, but all kinds of people would be included in who we would call our neighbors. This expert in Jewish law was looking for a loophole, you might say. And the authors of the book, Patak and Runyon, say, we do too. We look for loopholes too, only not just defining it to a small group. Sometimes we want to just define neighbors as all people. Love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Well, everybody's your neighbor. And I love everybody, and I'm off the hook. (laughs) Let me read just a little bit from the book here. If we say everyone is my neighbor, it can become an excuse for avoiding the implications of following the great commandment. Our neighbors become defined in the broadest of terms. They're the people across town, the people who are helped by the organizations that receive our donations, the people whom the government helps, 
We don't have to feel guilty. We tell ourselves, after all, we can't be expected to really love everybody, can we? The problem is, however, that when we aim for everything, we hit nothing. So when we insist we're neighbors with everybody, often we end up being neighbors with nobody. That's our human nature. We become like the lawyer looking for a loophole. We tell ourselves that we've got a lot going on in our lives, so surely the great commandment applies only to the wounded enemy lying outside beside the road, doesn't it? Since we haven't come across many of those lately, surely we're doing just fine when it comes to loving our neighbors, and maybe not. Jesus assumed that his audience would be able to love those nearest to them, their literal neighbors, the people most like them who share the same heritage and geography. In telling the parable, Jesus was stretching their concept of neighbor to include even people from a group they didn't like. And it goes on. So we're going to take a look at our neighborhoods, our literal neighborhoods. In fact, the outline in your, in your bulletin has a chart on the back that looks like this. Do we got that? There we go. And um, your neighborhood may not look exactly like this. You might live on a curvy street or you might back up to some woods or something. So, Or you might live in an apartment building. But whatever, this is sort of a concept. That my neighborhood actually kind of does look like this. Where we're in the middle there and then there's at least eight people around me. And I, I want to give you a little bit of time to, um, to fill this in. And you'll see there's A, B, and C on each of these. A is if you know at least the first, last name would be great, but if you at least know the first or last name in each of those houses around you. The B is something that you know about them other than what you observe. Oh, I know. It. Her name is Sue, and she drives a red SUV. No, well, you, that's an observation. But when you've talked to her and you found out she got a good deal on that SUV, then you know a little bit more about her because her husband's a car dealer or whatever. You know, you, you learn about uh, facts about them, uh, some kind of visit about, you know, whether they're treating their crabgrass or, or whatever it happens to be, or, or where they work, where they're from, what, they're, what they do, whatever. You know something about them. And C is some in-depth info that you know from connecting with them. You know something about their plans, their dreams, perhaps fears, hurts, beliefs. I want to just give you a little bit of time to think. Okay, so A is just names. B is some facts you know about them. C is just something in-depth that you know from connecting with them. So I'm going to give you a a few minutes to do that. So uh, we should have probably had some interlude music here. But somebody hum while the rest of people work on this, and we'll, we'll be good. So. How you doing? Need a little more time? Okay, I see, I see people working. Way to go. Some are just staring at me or the wall, but that's okay. This is optional. If you came to church saying, I'm tired of writing, filling in boxes, that's okay, but take a look at it.
Okay, well, we'll move on. Um, how, how many are able to do all the A's? I see that hand. Bless you, sister. Okay. How many had something on every single C? Oh, my gosh. You guys are amazing. Pathak and Ryan share that in their research using this and observation, they said that 10% of the people report um, that they could name all eight of these neighbors by name. Only 3% had anything to put on line B, and only 1% had uh, line C for every, every, every home. So you're part of the 1%, uh, just say not, the good 1%, not the financial whatever. Yeah, okay. So Here, here's a picture of my neighborhood. I, I, I got this on Google, Google Maps. Obviously not this time of year. Um, and here's my house. There's an X. There I am, yeah. Rich Lark is just off the right-hand edge of that up there. But so um, I, I already know Rich, so I kind of cut it off there, Rich. No, take no offense, okay? So you've got your own little circle around you. And, you know, as, as, as Megan and I have kind of worked on this, we, 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 we do have A's for uh, uh, all of them around us. A few don't know the last name. I don't know Dennis, Dan, Catherine, Lance, or Sue's last name. But I, I know the other names uh, uh, close by. Um, we know a few B's about everybody. I think we kind of know what everybody does or did for a living. A um, little bit of information about that. But really, I, I have to say only one family do we know very much of C. We've gone, we've gone deeper with one family who's in our, new in our neighborhood. And um, they have one child who's autistic. And so we've shared deeply about that and the challenges that they face. And so we're, we're getting started and we're trying to be more intentional about it. Obviously, um, it's easier when we come out in the yard, right? When we're out, we're outside. And so sometimes to even find excuses to be outside more often. But I think that's what gets at what our, what our next steps are of, of getting started on this because there's all kinds of obstacles and, and yet there's opportunities too. I think it would be over, overwhelming. And what, what is the biggest obstacle out there? It starts with T and ends with I'm. What is that? The biggest obstacle is time. Yeah, I gave you kind of a clue on that, but I think you could have gotten it without the clue. For many of us, our lives are already packed w- w- with activities. And for some, we feel like we're already packed with relationships. You're asking me to meet more people? Isn't it nice enough that I say, hi, your lawn looks great? Or it's about time you sealed your driveway? Or whatever we might say. It's just a matter of management and choices. We're not saying all eight of those people have your best friends that you hang out with all the time. But a little work on management, a little work on intentionality and priorities. I love this. Again, it's convicting, but the authors of the book say, the journey begins when we choose a lifestyle of conversation and community over a lifestyle of busyness and accumulation. <laughs> right? <laughs> busyness and accumulation. The lifestyle of conversation and, and community. Another obstacle we deal with is fear. It's awkward to sometimes an initial inter- introduction or to, to press on or feel like we're being nosy or, or we think, what if they're not interested? Or, um, or there's assumptions we make by observing, well, they're really busy. I see them come and go all the time. They're really kind of odd. They're kind of messy or, or else they're so perfect. And I've seen them have people over. They already have enough friends. All the, all the things we have. Or what if there's somebody in the witness protection program and they're not telling us the truth anyway? <laughs> Megan and I used to, our first apartment we lived in when we first moved to Arizona, we, we just decided one of the neighbors was a spy. We just decided he must be a spy. Yeah, so. 
So we make excuses for not meeting. But the opportunities can be as easy as just that, just looking for opportunities, seeing them on the street to initiate, invite, and, uh, and eventually to move to that place of coffee, a simple meal, bring something over. The book talks about block parties and all kinds of things, but it talks about starting simple and working one at a time. As we begin to open this up and look at this some more, I think we need to do clarify some things about motives, a, a word about our motives. And there, there's a difference between ulterior motives and ultimate motives. Now, what I say might not sound very spiritual. In fact, it might sound, it doesn't, it might sound like it contradicts a little bit what Pastor Diana talked about last week. I listened to her message, listened very carefully to what she was saying about, about leading our, our neighbors need Jesus. And that's absolutely true. And God may very well use us. Our neighbors do need Jesus. But neighboring is not an evangelism strategy. Your neighbors, my neighbors, are not an evangelism project. They are people God calls you to love. Period. The word just says, love your neighbor. Now, if we do that fully, some of them may very well come to know Jesus. But we are, first of all, called to love and to be a good neighbor. So we need to understand the difference between ulterior and ultimate motives. Ulterior means something that is intentionally kept concealed. An ulterior motive is usually manipulative. It's when we do or say one thing out in the open, but intend or mean another in private. Ultimate means the farthest part of a journey. An ultimate goal is an eventual point or a long for destination, like when a student starts school with a, a particular career in mind way out there. Or a young man shooting hoops in the neighborhood has his or her eyes on the NBA or the WNBA. That ultimate goal. The authors of the book say the ulterior motive in good neighboring must never be to share the gospel, but the ultimate motive is just that to share the story of Jesus and his impact on our lives. Okay, you got that? You can't go home and say, Scott said, don't share the gospel with your neighbors, so I'm not going to. I I, I scored 100%. That's not the point there. The goal is to care and to love and to be a good neighbor, and God may use that. And I love this, this quote from the book. I wish I could think of these things on my own, but that's why I read books. We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. (laughs) Love your neighbors, your actual neighbors. I'm reluctant sometimes to illustrate from a movie made before some of you were born. Um, Actually, I'm reluctant because my wife says don't do that, but um, she's not here. Um, But some of these movies have some famous lines, and this one was in 1991, so some of you are going, I was alive. I was very much alive. Some of you are like, I was a little kid. Some of you are like, not yet. (laughs) But some of you know about the movie What About Bob? Yeah, see? <laughs> because there's certain lines from certain movies that have just sort of gotten stuck in our cultural vocabulary, haven't they? And what's the one from What About Bob? Baby Steps. Baby Steps. Bob was, uh, the, the movie is a, a therapist and he has a client named Bob and the therapist tries to get away from Bob, but Bob is always seeking help and always talking about taking baby steps and working on the, whatever the particular psychological, emotional issues he's working on. But it's, it's kind of riveted us to taking baby steps. 
whatever it might be, whether we're learning learning a language, whether we're learning our way in something, or we're, we are dealing with some overwhelming issues, emotional issues or past issues in our life, and taking baby steps in the direction of an ultimate goal, perhaps. Baby steps speak of slow, gradual progress. And that's why I want to encourage us in terms of looking at this art of neighboring, is that we look at what are the baby steps that we can take. One of the things we can do is a tool that we introduced a year ago right now, and we're bringing it back. It's, in, it's called the BLESS initiative that has come to us from uh, the Evangelical Covenant Church, which they borrowed from the yellow box with permission. <laughs> there's, huge, there's a huge B-L-E-S-S on the hallway in yellow box if you've visited there, and it's okay if you've visited there. I have visited there, okay? <laughs> the B is begin with prayer, praying for your neighborhood, praying for people, to listen with care, to listen to the people and, and what, what, what are the things going on in their life and what perhaps are the areas where there's some hurt and pain, to eat together, to have a simple meal or as big as a block party, to serve with love, to look for opportunities in the winter to shovel a driveway or to take something to eat or give them a ride. Uh, we've been asked by a couple of neighbors, could you help us get our kid to school? I got to work, whatever, things like that. And then the final S, when God provides the opportunity, is to share our own story. Not to dump the gospel on them, that may come, but to share our own story of where God makes a difference in our life and in who we are. You may remember on that list, and we're going to give it to you next week again, there's a, it's a Frank list, F-R-A-N-C. That's not how you spell Frank, but it is for this purpose. F is for friends. Who are the friends in your life that don't know Christ and are far from God? The R is for Relatives. The A is for acquaintances, people that you get to know in the community or service providers. The N is neighbors. And the C is a multiple, either coworkers, colleagues, classmates. But I want us to think especially about that N today as we get prepared. We'll have that insert in your bulletin again next week. You'll have an opportunity to fill that out with names of people that you're praying for. But I want to finish today by just focusing on that N again, your neighbors, and ask again the question that we began with. What would happen if we took Jesus seriously and really loved our actual neighbors? Really loving our neighbors, not just being nice, not just waving, not even talking about, and I'm not even talking about inviting them to church. That could come, but we're talking about loving them and caring for them. Love them with the love of Jesus. It has a potential to make our neighborhoods better and has ultimate potential uh, for the kingdom of God. Be thinking about those people you'll put on your list and that you're praying for already. And let's pray now. Lord, I confess I'm, I'm not doing that great on this. You know, I feel like you have drawn me and I sense that for many of us you're drawing us to that place, a very practical, real, loving presence in our neighborhoods. Lord, we feel torn because we have to be a loving presence at work. We have to be a loving presence at school. We have to be a loving presence at the committees, the board, whatever we're on, Lord. But you've called us to love you with all of our being and to love those around us. Give us a heart for those that you love, Lord God. And we commit this to you in Christ's name. Amen.